You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. What's up, everybody? If you're looking for me, you better look behind a tree. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, probably one of the funniest gangster rap lyrics of all time was on a Bone Thug song, Bone Thugs in Harmony, uh, out of, what was it, Cleveland, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio? Um, But I guess it was their, kind of their first, their debut single, their entree into the uh, major leagues of the rap world. And uh, Eric Eazy-E Wright, uh, who I believe was sort of a mentor to them, uh, had a guest of verse on that track. And it was really funny because I think it talked about like the cops were out to get him and he had to duck and hide behind a tree. I don't know why I always found that an extremely comical mental image because here you have like, you know, one of the hardest G's of all time just ducking behind a tree. Um, you know, he's a, he was a pint-sized fellow too, compact, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm pint-sized myself. You know, he probably could have found good cover behind that tree. So g- good thinking, Eric Easy e Wright, R-I-P-T-R-O-Y. It's kind of funny. Sometimes I do go back, and uh, I, I, when I was young, I was quite an aficionado of NWA and Eazy-E, kind of until I met Icy Robots, and he smartened me up to how whack most of that stuff really was compared to uh, what was going on on the East Coast of the United States at that time. Um, but sometimes I'll go back and listen to that stuff, and man, it's aged horribly. Like, you want to talk about cancellation. Uh, Easy E would have been canceled as soon as you would have looked at him in this day and age. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of that today. We're going to talk about some of the uh, some of the myths around the idea of cancellation, um, some of the upsides, some of the downsides, um, and some other stuff too. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let me just say, Easy E is not really easy to listen to in 2020. If you have any kind of uh, moral conscience when it comes to, um, I guess, treatment of women, treatment of LGBTQ individuals, not, not, not a pretty listen. Um, but we will set that aside and continue on with the show. It is I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, with lucky episode 13 of the MSGV podcast, the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, right here on the IC Robots Radio Network. And I kind of blew up this episode. I'd started it, and then um, as I'm recording it this week, which will be last week or further back when you finally hear this, uh, ISR decided it'd be a good time to uh, kind of go dark with the network for a week in response, in solidarity to some of the social unrest going on in the United States right now um, with just sort of the grimness of what is going on in the country as far as uh, systemic uh, social injustices and people's response to that and other people's response to that response. It just seemed weird to come yuck it up here on the air in the midst of all of it. So um, I'm sure things will be (laughs) not much better when we come back, but, you know, just this seemed like uh, out of respect to take a week off. Um, But that being the case, the episode that I had been putting together just seemed kind of totally out of place and outmoded. So here I am redoing episode 13 for you. And we are going to start off today talking about something I've been meaning to already and something that has become even more 
significant uh, in light of where we are socially at this given moment. Um, but we're going to start off with a TV review, but it's not really going to be a TV review. We're kind of just going to barely gloss over the TV show itself and then delve into more what it, uh, why this particular TV show is significant at this moment in time, what it's made me think about and reflect about, and how it all syncs up with the uh, experiences I've had and thoughts and ideas that I have on the subject. So let's cut to the chase here. We're going to talk about a show that started a few weeks ago on, I believe, yeah, it's HBO. It's, it's always a blur to me because I watch it through an uh, Amazon Prime app on my Apple TV, but it's like it gets convoluted because it's an HBO subscription through Apple TV. But HBO show uh, goes by the name of Lovecraft Country. And at the time uh, that I am recording this, it has aired for three episodes uh, so far, and it is the story of a man named Atticus Freeman who gets summoned via letter by his father uh, to come look for him. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, the Atticus character has been residing in Florida. He's a veteran of the Korean War. This show takes place uh, during the 1950s. And essentially for these first three episodes, it's been a melding of pulpy, Lovecraftian, creature feature sort of horror um, with the more existential horrors that uh, the characters face as a result of being uh, black Americans in 1950s America. And the show also, just by nature of its premise, adds in the interesting twist of these characters simultaneously existing within the Lovecraft mythos, but also in a world where Lovecraft was actually a person, was a writer. So, you know, the, the main character um, reads his books, but um, the mythos that uh, Lovecraft writes about, the Elder Gods and such, actually exist in their world. So this leads to some fertile ground for playing with the idea of what is to be done in a situation where you have a writer like Lovecraft who created such an influential body of work, such an influential uh, fictional world and universe and mythology, um, but was himself... um, sort of a sinister figure when it comes to his views on other people in the world and people who didn't necessarily look like him or come from the same uh, genealogy as he did. Now, when I was younger and the world was a much different place, in the case of public figures, writers like H.P. Lovecraft, who are just incontrovertibly or were incontrovertibly racist as uh, people in their own real personal life, uh, the response was simply to kind of ignore it, sweep it under the rug, um, and just kind of accept it. In the years since, there's been kind of a pendulum swing, an understandable one, you know, kind of to the extreme opposite end of what is now, I guess, the popular parlance is cancellation, where uh, the person is sort of unpersoned, erased. Uh, we, we stop acknowledging their work altogether. And 
While I'm generally understanding of and sympathetic to this impulse and um, equally suspicious of the negative impulse it brings out in people that would rather we not address issues like racism or social inequality, um, I feel like in some cases it isn't the best response. And Lovecraft Country is a perfect example of, as there often is, a third way in this strange uh, America that we live in where everything has to be in just extreme absolutes. And, I mean, it's one thing if you're talking about a writer whose work itself is, uh, you know, prescriptive as far as how to be how to be racist, how to uh, execute eugenics in the world. But when you're dealing with someone like Lovecraft or the, the work itself, I mean, those themes are in there, but not necessarily in a way that we can't glean something meaningful out of them. In that case, and particularly in a case like Lovecraft, where the images he created have entered so deeply into the public domain, the public imagination, that they're not even really his anymore, that they're, they're not wedded to him, the individual. I feel like approaching it in the way that Lovecraft Country, the television show, and presumably the novel uh, have is actually the best, most thoughtful, most creative way. And that is to take this material and repurpose it, to add a different spin on it, to add different voices to it, to uh, use it in a way that divorces it from the flawed individual creator and elevates it into something that can continue to be meaningful to people today in 2020, such as it is. And Lovecraft's world is actually a perfect one for this because the fact that he, the individual creator, was such a creep uh, in his real life, quote unquote, is actually kind of a cautionary tale and fits into what was horrific about what he was writing about. And for me, I already kind of had processed Lovecraft on my own before watching this show. My own personal take on the Lovecraft mythos is that he's essentially writing about the fear of the inhuman, the unknowable, the incomprehensible. Because as human beings, all that we really have is human meaning. And all that human meaning is ultimately, I think, is our relationships to other people. And the more we let those relationships devolve, the more we think of other people as aliens, as other, as threats, uh, the more that we decide to live in fear, that we are inside of a domain that we need to constantly protect and arm ourselves to further and further extent and to just always be paranoid and fearful of intruders, we really do start to descend into this inhuman madness where we cease to be human, where we start to become this sort of uh, Lovecraftian thing. And that, that was the fate that a lot, a lot of the characters in his stories uh, meet, is that they, they're just devolved into madness through this sheer refusal or inability to become a fully realized human being uh, due to their lack of empathy, lack of understanding of or accepting of others and building healthy relationships. And so using what Lovecraft built and created to kind of 
understand this isn't a celebration of his shortcomings. And in fact, um, you know, if you look at his life, just being this this weird guy who's obsessed with uh, classifying other people by their racial background, it's just that's just kind of such a sad existence. And it's just, it feels like the ultimate end of the horrors that he's describing. Your inability to live in the world with other people. Therefore, you are living in that proverbial mouth of madness with Cthulhu breathing down your neck. Because let's face it, I mean, we are all going to expire at some point. And we can either do so having lived a life with uh, friends and family and having positive feelings about other people and uh, leaving positive feelings with those other people as we depart this world, or we can leave this world alone and scared and ranting and raving at the shadows. Um, So back to uh, Lovecraft Country itself, the fact that the show takes... uh, this Lovecraftian landscape and surveys it through decidedly black American or African American uh, point of view makes it particularly fascinating because what the show does then is it's dealing with that um, trademark uh, Lovecraft horror of a world devoid of humanity, human empathy, human relationships and combines it with the very real examples of that um, facing African-Americans, both in those Jim Crow days of the 1950s, and uh, whether people want to accept it or not, um, reverberating still to this day. Now, if you yourself uh, take it upon yourself to succumb to uh, fear of others, othering of other people, um, alienating yourself from the rest of the world. If that is uh, the pinnacle of madness as epitomized in Lovecraft's horror, trying to do your best to channel those feelings and inflict them on other people, I guess that would go from madness to being actually malevolent evil. And we see this evil at play in Lovecraft Country, both in a supernatural form from some of the more over-the-top villain characters so far in the show, but we also see it in mundane, everyday ways that are probably scarier in examples taken directly from history when it comes to um, the segregation law nature of 1950s America and um, the worldview of many Americans at the time and many, as we've already said before, to this day. The fact that the country is so unsafe for black Americans in Lovecraft Country that one of the characters' jobs is that he publishes a, um, called in the parlance of the day, a Negro Travel Guide, giving you tips and tricks if you are a black American, how you can travel across the United States, a country where you are in fact a citizen, where you can travel without being subjected to uh, violence um, or other kinds of systemic mistreatment based on your ethnic background. The fact that uh, this product was actually a necessity for a specific group of people just speaks to the kind of existential fear and terror 
facing systemically oppressed groups that if we're not in a group like that it's easy to kind of gloss over and, and not e- not even have it occur to us but when you really break it down i mean imagine that based on the group that you are considered a part of it's literally dangerous for you beyond any any kind of normal everyday dangers it's dangerous for you to leave your house it's dangerous for you to do interstate travel it's when lovecraft country's characters face these real life horrors that I find that the show is at its most powerful. And I really hope that people watching this show take it to heart. And if there are people that haven't experienced these kinds of things or this side of America themselves, um, that they try to have a little bit of empathy and understand that other people may have experiences that they themselves have not experienced and and to take that into account and to um, understand that it's real and also to understand that accepting it as real doesn't have to be some radical wild-eyed lunatic fringe thing Um, nor does it have to be something that you need to be defensive about Um, I think anyone who is being honest and intellectually honest and um, operating in good faith will look at American history. And again, this is not to say that there haven't been great things that have happened in American history, but that there is an undercurrent, an ongoing problem. And it's not a specifically American problem. It's a world problem. Uh, The world has evolved over time, um, I would say, probably net positively in some ways, of uh, elevating what it means to be a human being. Um, As time marches on and as social and cultural views open and expand and evolve, we're afforded more opportunities to see each other as real people, to have real relationships with one another, to be Something more than just a transactional cog that's like trying to kill each other to get something or trying to subjugate one another uh, for some sort of profit. And plenty of that still exists. But I do, I do feel if you look at human history, it has in some pockets and in some ways become a kinder and gentler place um, and a more human place, again, in some limited respects. And at many points in its own short history... America has been fertile ground for that kind of expansion of ideas and acceptance. Um, So it's not to take away from that at all, but America emerged out of this world where human life has been disposable, has been cheap, has been tribal, uh, where it's all against all. Um, But it doesn't have to be like that anymore. And to really get away from that, we need to honestly assess history and not be so defensive. Like people that just have not experienced uh, some of the social inequities, some of the hardships that others have, it's constantly like, oh, you're saying I'm a racist? And it's like, no, 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 dude. <laughs> First of all, maybe you are. I don't know if that kind of response that tends to suggest possibly. But the other thing too is that it's fine. It's social, your views can evolve over time. My own have for sure. Lovecraft Country is a good example of that. When I was younger... I used to think it was so dumb when people would argue that uh, if they were part of 
an ethnic minority group or gender minority group, uh, that they wanted to see more uh, characters on TV that, quote, looked like them. And in spirit of full disclosure, um, my background, uh, my mom's side of the family is uh, Chinese American. She's first generation um, American from a Chinese family. And so I'm half wasp and half uh, Chinese American, I guess. Um, and so my take was always like, I'm never going to see anyone who looks like me. So what do I care? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Get over it. Um, but one day um, I was watching, I had the TV on in the background and I saw an ad for, um, it was like whatever the cable provider at the time that I had um, was uh, doing programming for Black History Month. So on the screen was image after image of TV shows and movies featuring pretty much either all or primarily uh, black cast members. And I remember it felt really jarring. And I, I certainly do not mean that like in a pejorative way. It was just like something felt different about it. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I get it. I get that whole, I want to see people that look like me. Because when you look at television and 99% of the characters that you see on the screen are white, that starts to develop this norm that that's all that there is out there in the world. And you get used to, when you see that, when you see an all-white cast, well, that's normal. And then when you see a all-black or primarily black or any other group uh, cast, that stands out as, oh, well, that, but that's different. That, that's a one-off. That, that's not normal. Um, that's strange. <laughs> like, we should... <laughs> There should be enough difference in a country like ours that isn't monocultural, where there are all kinds of different people. There really should be enough imagery out there where it's not jarring or shocking when we see non-white images on screen. And again, I don't mean shocking in some pearl clutching, like, oh, it's the non-whites. I just mean, again, it's, a, it's that unconscious uh, psychological reaction to seeing um, something other than what you've been conditioned to accept as normal on your television screen, which is a tool for conditioning you to uh, what is normal. So kudos to the folks behind the Lovecraft Country uh, television show for causing me to think about all this, because I'm pretty sure that's one of the aims they have behind the program, and they were certainly successful at that. Um, how, where do we go from here? I guess I would just say, man, be just open and respectful to other people's uh existence and experiences, you know? I mean, and, and remember that life doesn't have to be extreme, fringe, or absolute. You know, we can be these kind of moderate people if we want to. And I don't mean moderate in some political sense. I just mean just, just even keel, you know? <laughs> like, because you understand that someone experiences something doesn't mean then they have to be elevated to sainthood status and become the best person ever. Uh, because you find a personal flaw in a messenger for kind of a greater social message doesn't mean the entire message is debunked. Doesn't mean the entire experience the person's describing is, is untrue. And just, you know, be a good listener and accept that other people are real too, you know? I mean, and also really kind of... Uh, Dig deep inside yourself and ask yourself how much things that you get worked up about or that you have strong feelings about even really pertain to you or that you need to hold on to. I think about this a lot um, with uh, something that pops up in popular culture uh, every so often, it seems. Um, 
with like uh, sports teams that have uh, team names that certain groups uh, find uh, unacceptable. Uh, I hate to use the word offensive because I think that's the worst term to use when it comes to uh, sort of uh, racially unacceptable things because it, it kind of diminishes it to, to oh, the, it's like you're offended because a joke was bad or something. That's not what this is about. This is about, you know, something goes digs a little bit deeper than that. Um, I guess it's like when you have a population of people that are want to name something, um, the name that the group that it's named after finds unacceptable, why is it so important to you to hold on to that? You know, if it's not your group, it'd be like if I was your neighbor and I wanted to name my house and I gave it a name that was some nickname that you found pejorative about your family's last name. And you'd come over to me and be like, man, could you just not name it that? And I'd be like, no, it's, it's incredibly important to me that it's called this. That makes no sense. Let it go. You know, <laughs> even if you think that the grievance that someone has is just, like the silliest thing ever, give them a little respect. And, you know, if it's not the group that you're in, you know, just have a little humility, a little acquiescence. We can, we can all get along as the, as the cliche goes. But really, I mean, that's for me in this insane world of extremes, the one extremism that I can get behind is extreme and radical moderation. And that's being respectful of other people, um, calling people out when they're not being cool, um, but also understanding that, you know, there's always many sides to every story, um, understanding that views can change over time and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's probably something wrong with you if your views never do change. And ultimately just realizing that you live in a world with other people and your very humanity depends on your relationships with those people. It's the only thing keeping you from that Lovecraftian void, that mouth of madness. And on that note, it's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega signing off with another episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Thank you so much for bearing with me on this uh, extremely soapboxy uh, episode. I hope people are feeling where I'm coming from. I just feel like uh, there's just not a lot of... Um, even voices out there. And you may think that mine is not one, but I'm trying to be one and uh, just trying to make sense of the world right now and trying to find um, a path to walk that isn't the path of extremism because there is, to me, nothing worse in this world than extremism. And on that extremely uh, extreme note, uh, I will bid you adieu until next time. Next time I will be back talking about what I intended to talk about originally on this episode, which is virtual life, uh, living online. Is it really as bad as a lot of the old folks in my age group seem to be pearl-clutching that it is? And I don't think it is. But we'll talk about that next time. Until then, this is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. Talk to you soon.